delivered to us through his providential hand in bringing us to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're looking at verses 1 down to 8. So it'd be great if you could just open up your Bibles again and just have it in front of you so you can see that what I'm saying is it's organically flowing from God's Word. Just before we come to look at God's Word, let's just pray and seek the Lord's help. Father, we do thank you for your Word. We thank you that you're a God that reveals yourself to us. And we just pray that you, O Holy Spirit, would just give us light, give us understanding, give us um, attentiveness. Would you just be ministering to our hearts as we just seek to behold your glory in your word and allow your truth to strengthen and refresh us. Meet us, O Lord. May we have ears to hear your word as we come to it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this evening, we will be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 to 8. And I want us to see tonight from these verses an encouragement. An encouragement to keep going for Jesus is coming. An encouragement to keep going for Jesus is coming. For Paul is writing these verses to Timothy, who's in a similar situation that we are in, both in the last days, with people which are filled with people who are lovers of self rather than lovers of God. And that's what we've seen in chapter 3, and specifically in verse 2, and then down in the verse 3. We've seen that bookend. What will it look like in these last days? Will it be full of ungodliness? and those who are lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Timothy is surrounded by a culture of ungodliness and chaos, a culture that is flat out against the gospel and the church. Timothy must be feeling this, the chaoticness of the sea of ungodliness around him. And if you didn't know that I was speaking about first century Ephesus, you would think I was talking about our culture, which is filled with lovers of self rather than lovers of God. In our day, there's an open, opposed, and opposition to the gospel in the church. It feels like we are in a chaotic sea of ungodliness, that there's no hope. We may even feel like giving up. And that's what Timothy must have been feeling because we see that Paul is writing to encourage him throughout the whole of the letter of 2 Timothy. You see in chapter 1, he talks about flaming, in, flaming the gift of God. Chapter 2, Paul calls him to remember Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, he exhorts him to continue in what he has learned. Timothy, like many of us, is feeling the pressure of living in such ungodliness and may even be tempted to throw in the towel. And that's where our passage comes in this evening with this encouragement. The purpose behind these verses that Paul is writing to Timothy is to encourage him with a truth. And the truth that he is seeking to encourage Timothy with is this, to keep on going for Jesus is coming. And so I love a good musical 
And I was thinking about this passage and a scene from a musical, The Newsies, popped into my head. Just to set the scene, if you've never watched The Newsies, The Newsies are these street kids in New York who sell newspapers. And then they get into this fight with the factory manager. And at one point of the musical, it seems like all hope is lost. But then word gets to the Newsies from Brooklyn, Brooklyn being these other Newsies um, in Brooklyn, that they are on their way. And this is an encouragement because Brooklyn are like the big dogs when it comes to being newsies. And so you have this chorus that says, tell them Brooklyn is on the way, have no fear. Tell them Brooklyn is on the way, have no fear. And this truth that Brooklyn is on the way strengthens these newsies in New York to hold out until Brooklyn appears. And so in our passage, we could say that Paul is saying to Timothy and to us that Jesus is on the way, have no fear. Jesus is on the way, have no fear. And so this evening, we'll break up our passage into two sections with the heading, Jesus is coming, uh, keep on going, Jesus is coming. The first section we will see will be verses 1 down to 5 which has the heading, the word of God strengthens us as we wait for Jesus. And then the second section will be verses six and eight, eight, which says, Jesus will crown those who persevere. So the word of God strengthens us as we wait for Jesus is our first section, verses one down to five. But just read with me firstly then verses one to two, and let's walk down through our first section. So, starting in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. In these two verses, we see Paul charge Timothy before God and Jesus to preach the word of God in all seasons of life. And Paul uses two future events as the basis for his charge, Jesus appearing and his consummation of his kingdom. But we're also told that Timothy's, uh, about Timothy's preaching ministry, that it's meant to be a holistic one, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting Though we don't, we're not only told about the, the content of Timothy's preaching, but also the character or the manner in which it's meant to be carried out. Timothy is meant to preach the word with complete patience. And so let's just start to expand more on these truths by walking back through. In verse 1, I want us to see the sobering truth that Jesus is coming back to judge the dead and the living, and consummate his kingdom. Paul wants Timothy to hear the weight and urgency behind his charge by using these two future events as like a metaphorical steam train that is heading his way. We should hear Paul, um, we should hear Paul saying to Timothy, though there is a sea of ungodliness all around you, do not lose heart. Keep going, preach the word, for that day is coming 
when the only ark that will save you is the ark built by the promises of God's word, such as that trustworthy saying that we find in 1 Timothy, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Do not lose heart, Timothy, when you are persecuted for your godly living, knowing that Jesus is coming and he will right every wrong and bind up all his people and welcome them into his kingdom. We see these two future events as like a a pillar, a kind of, it's an encouragement to Timothy. This is going to happen. Just like that steam train, you can't stop it. Take heart. Jesus is coming and he will judge and right every wrong and he will also consummate his kingdom and bind up his people. Therefore, keep going, Timothy. Why? For Jesus is coming. Then in verse two, I want us to see Timothy's posture towards preaching. We will see the content of his preaching, the character, and the content and the character of his preaching. Firstly, the posture. Timothy is meant to preach the word of God in all seasons of life. That's what we get when he says, be ready in season and out of season. In periods of prosperity, in periods of opposition, in periods of growth, and in periods of decline, Timothy is charged with preaching the word in season and out of season. For as we've seen in chapter 3, 16 and 17, the word of God is sufficient for all seasons of life. The word of God is the fuel that keeps us going in all seasons of life as we wait for Jesus. Then third, uh, secondly, we see the content. Timothy's preaching is meant to be holistic. And that's what we see with the three all-encompassing commands to reproof, rebuke, and exhort. Again, pushing us back to chapter 3 and 16 and 17, which uses similar words, a similar language to teach us that the Word of God is sufficient to equip Christians for every good work. If we are to keep going, we must have a balanced diet of God's Word that sustains us as we wait for Jesus. If you think about it in a diet, you have what they call like macronutrients and micronutrients. And so you've got your protein, fats, and carbs, and then your kind of vitamins. And if you only get one or the other, they don't properly work. And that's what Paul is saying about Timothy. Don't just preach one aspect of the Christian life. Don't just preach law and condemnation because you cripple your people. Preach the gospel alongside the law. Or don't just sweep sin under the rug. Call sin out that the Lord may prune your people so that they may be sustained in these last days. We need a holistic diet of God's word to be sustained while we wait for him. And so then thirdly, the character, the character of Timothy's preaching or the manner is meant to be spirit-empowered and godly. These two components are essential when preaching God's word. For we see in chapter 2, verse, uh, uh, verse 21, that it says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And then we see in verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge 
of truth. It is God by his Holy Spirit that grants that illumination that leads to liberation in Jesus. And if we are to be useful in these last days, we must be distinct, we must be holy, we must be godly. And we see this idea of um, spirit-empowered ministry by Paul highlighting this fruit of the Spirit that is meant to encompass, to engulf all that Timothy does. He is meant to be patient. He is meant to produce this fruit of the Spirit that is dependent upon the Spirit to bring life. And that links us into verses 3 and 5. And we can see why that emphasis of Paul is being patient and dependent on the sufficiency of the Word of God to get things done. So, looking at verses 3 and 5, just read along with me. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In these verses, we see Paul telling the story of two tales. Firstly, we see the coming times where people will not listen to sound teaching, but rather seek out teachers that will itch their ears, seek out teachers that talk empty truths. And they will also find teachers that will feed their sinful passions that lead to ungodliness. And and this leads to being on the wrong side of Jesus' coming. Secondly, we see a faithful pilgrim, Timothy, who is called to persevere in being sober-minded, enduring suffering, and staying focused on, his, on fulfilling his ministry, which will lead to the crown of righteousness. Let's then look at these two ways to live in this ungodly world until Jesus returns. Firstly, those found in verses 3 and 4 who are described as those having itching ears. And we could also identify those people with those who are lovers of self in chapter 3, verse 2. Those individuals are marked by forsaking sound teaching, accumulating teachers that suit their own sinful passions, and those who wander off into myths and irreverent babble. And we see this already happening in the church of Ephesus with those false teachers who are promoting irreverent babble that leads people into ungodly living. And we see it in the ministry of Jesus too. Think about it in John 6, where many people turn away from Jesus after hearing his hard sayings. They did not like what he had to say, for it went against the grain of man's natural nature. Therefore, they turn away from him, for they want teachers to appease their sinful desires. Our natural state is sin. We do not like God confronting us. And so those who present sound doctrine that exposes our sin, our natural self wants to walk away and find people who will ponder to our sins, give us liberty to sin, continue sinning. That's the times that we're in. And we see this happening all around us today. People who call themselves Christians but who have forsaken God's word. They have left behind sound teaching. They rather preach candy floss sermons that have no substance and convict of no sin. But rather, 
They strive to please the sinful passions of the people. Think of the words of Isaiah. He says that preaching that um, goes to the sinful desire is those who call evil good and good evil. They have forsaken God and his words. Or if we think about the world today, it's a free-for-all. Everyone has their own truth, and it cannot stand the truth that is exclusive, such as the message of Christianity that proclaims there is no salvation, no hope in any other name than Jesus. He is the truth, the way, and the life. No one finds salvation and hope except through him. And so that's the picture of those who have itching ears. They are ones who will not heed to the word of God. Rather, they seek to have their sinful passions pondered to. Then secondly, in contrast, we see in verse 5, Paul say, as for you, as for you, my faithful pilgrim, Timothy, who I'm calling um, to not follow the ways of the world and those in verses 3 and 4, but rather to persevere and fulfill your ministry. And we see this, that this involves Timothy being sober-minded and enduring persecution, meaning that he is meant to anchor himself in the Word of God and be alert. Timothy is not, a lot, is not to allow the waves of the time to pull him away from the anchor of his soul that is Christ. Timothy is also to fulfill his ministry by doing the work of an evangelist. And I want us to see Paul's emphasis on the essentialness of the word of God in the believer's life as we wait for Jesus' return. By seeing that Paul bookends this section with a call to preach God's word in verse 2, and then a call to do the work of an evangelist. It may not just spring to mind that the work of evangelist is someone to preach God's word, but if you go to Ephesians 4, you see that the evangelist is one that equips the saints for every good work by building up the body, by teaching them, filling them with God's word, and then they go out. I always think of the evangelist in Ephesians 4 as like a big lighthouse that's beaming light into the people in the church, and they're the little, like, little boats to go into the world, and there's little dots of light everywhere. So Paul is saying that if we want to be sustained in this sinful, ungodly time, be strengthened by God's words. So to answer our question, how do we keep on going as we wait for Jesus to return? We keep on going by being strengthened by the word of God. This then brings us to our second portion, verses 6 and 8, with, this, with the heading, Jesus will, ret- will crown those who persevere. In verse 5, we see Paul call Timothy to persevere and fulfill his ministry by preaching the word and doing the work of an evangelist. And we're now going to see in verses 6 and 7, Paul's self-declaration that he has persevered by the strengthening grace of Jesus Christ. Read with me this verses 6 and 7. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. In these, uh, in these verses, Paul uses poetic and Old Testament language being poured out as a drink offering to reflect on how he has offered his life as a living sacrifice to the Lord. 
And then more clearly states that his time of departure has come, meaning his life in this world is coming to an end. Paul then goes on to tell Timothy that he has fought the good fight, finished the race, and kept the faith, meaning he has persevered to the end, which is meant to be an encouragement to Timothy. It's Paul saying that if God can preserve me in this ungodly world, he can preserve you too. And we are meant to hear this truth for ourselves too. God will preserve us to the end. But we're also to see the emphasis to strive to persevere. For we see Paul say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. He has done this all in in God's strength, working through him, but does not lessen the truth that a true mark of a Christian is one that perseveres. Paul then is encouraging Timothy and us to persevere. We are called to keep going. We are called to finish the race. Why? For as Calvin puts it, it is of no advantage to have run vigorously from the starting point to mid-course if we do not in the end reach the finish line. We must keep on going and not give up. For as First John says, those who went out from us were never truly off us. For if they were truly off us, they would have continued with us. We should desire and strive to persevere, not in our own strength, but through the strengthening of God's grace through his words. And then this brings us to the picture in verse 8 of the glorious finish line that Paul is striving to, that he's so close, that award ceremony where he received that cr- his crown of righteousness. Verse 8, read with me. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In this verse, Paul is rejoicing in the crown of righteousness that is laid up for him that he will be crowned with on that day Jesus returns to judge and consummate his kingdom. But it is not only Paul who will be crowned, but also those who loved Jesus' coming. And this imagery of being crowned and being received by Jesus into his kingdom is meant to encourage Timothy and us. For the Christian's deepest desire is to be with Jesus. For Paul says, to live is Christ and die is gain. At the heart of the gospel message is that we are reconciled to God through the cleansing blood of Christ and through him robing us in his um, righteousness. This allows us to be reconciled to God and to commune with him. Therefore, as we strive to keep ongoing as we wait for Jesus, this imagery of one day that when our sight will be turned to faith is meant to to fuel us, to to stir us up, to long, to, to push forward to that day when we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Though I wonder if you think about the second coming of the Lord Jesus much. It's interesting. It really hits you when Paul says, 
to, but also to all who have loved his appearing. How much time in your Christian meditation do you spend on dwelling on the Lord's return? And it can really expose maybe the, the sin that has creeped into our lives, that we so enjoy this world that we think that the Lord's returning is, is less. It's going to ruin us. We've got the job we wanted. We've got the partner, the husband, the wife that we've wanted. Well, heaven can't be that great. Lord, just, just wait a little bit more. No, no. Paul is saying, the Lord is saying to us, true Christians, thank the Lord for all the great gifts. I thank the Lord for my wife. I thank the Lord for our, our church family. But they pale in comparison to the joy that I will have when the Lord returns and my faith is turned to sight. Paul says a true Christian longs for this. He texts the words of Revelation and he prays them daily, come quickly, Lord, for I long to dwell with you in eternity. And so, the question, though, could maybe arise if you don't know the Lord. We, the scene in verse 1 that the Lord's coming to judge the living and the dead. Therefore, how can Christians think about the Lord's returning as joyful? Well, that's where the heart of the gospel comes in. Yes, we are sinners who should not be able to stand before the holy God and his glory, but because of Christ, there is therefore no condemnation for us. That means that for us who have sincere faith in Christ Jesus, his appearing is a joy to our heart. It will be a joyful event, an event that we long for. And so I ask this question, do you lovingly long for Jesus to return? And then what on that day, what will be your outcome? Will it be one of joy or will it be one of condemnation and wrath for you find yourself outside of Christ? And maybe this evening it's the realization that this Lord's second coming isn't going to be a point of joy for you. Well, let me encourage you to come to the Lord Jesus for he gives us that promise that he came into the world to save sinners. He came into the world to reconcile us to our God. That's the hope of the gospel. Come to him, find refuge, and therefore let that day of judgment turn into a day of rejoicing and one that you long for. And therefore, if you do know the Lord, I just want to encourage you this evening with that saying, that big idea in this passage. Keep going for Jesus is coming. Sometimes we can feel that the Lord is tarrying so long and we can feel that we've just got finger grips onto the Lord. Know that his stronghold will hold you and preserve you. He will enable you to keep going. Therefore, let this image of him breaking through the sky to consummate his kingdom and bring you into et eternal communion with him, 
strengthen you. Let this truth be a joy to your heart. Keep going, for Jesus is coming. Let's just pray as we finish. Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation that we have received in your Son, that we can look to his second coming as a joyful, glorious, amazing event. Stir in our hearts, O Holy Spirit, a longing to see our God no longer by faith, but by sight. Help us just to rest knowing that you, O Lord Jesus, are on the way. Let us not fear. Let us rest in you as we wait. In Jesus' name, amen. When I will turn and sing joy to the world, and that may be a shock that we're singing joy to the world in summer, but I just want to highlight that Isaac Watts, who originally hit, wrote the hymn, based it off Psalm 98. And if you read Psalm 98, it's speaking of the Lord's second coming, his returning to consummate his kingdom. And so I want us to sing this hymn with that glorious vision of Jesus coming to consummate his kingdom and take us home. Link this hymn, Joy to the World, with a means by which stirring our hearts to love his appearing. Pray that the Spirit, as we sing this song, would just press upon you that glorious day that will be filled of joy when the Lord comes to take us home. So let's stand and sing as the musicians start to play.
now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all times and now and forever. Amen.